0: you cannot reach out to them. Uh, one of the things uh, that I think is very important is to ask questions because I'm telling you about 95% of the people that ask questions and say, oh, I don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. Oh, I, I you know, I believe Jesus is just one of many ways. And, and I, I have found that about 90 to 95% of the people that make that statement to me and say, you don't need to share with me, I find out they're only parroting what they've heard somebody else say. They've never really so. So, uh, 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 there is a, a gentleman who's come up with what he calls the Columbo technique. Now, you, mem- you remember Columbo? You know, he, he, you know I, I liked him because I, I, I finally found somebody that I dressed better than he did. And uh, so, he, you remember he had that old trench coat on and he, he always had that cigar in his hand that he never, was, never was lit. And you remember, you knew, I mean, you knew who the bad guy was, I mean, right from the beginning. But he always had this thing where he'd ask some questions. Yes, sir, I thank you very much. And he, he goes over to the door, and, and uh, thank you so much. And and then just, you know, uh, can, can, can I, just, just can, can I ask you uh, 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 just another question? And you see, there is power in questions not that you're trying to manipulate, but what you're trying to do is to find out. Well, how did this person come to this conclusion? Is this something that is really a concern for them, or is this something that they've just heard parroted? And uh, and, and and you're you're showing respect for them uh, when you say, "Help me, help me understand. How did you come to that position?" So it could be that, that you could just use the Columbo technique and ask a question. Now, what if, what if uh, they really, it's a real serious question, and you don't have the answer? You can honestly say, um, well, you know, I, I don't know the answer, but I will get back with you. And then you are armed with hundreds of excellent websites on apologetics. For example, one of the best is called... And here's, here's the website, the postegg.net. This is not an agricultural website. Why is it called the um, Because the poached egg, you know, like a poached egg? Oh What'd you think I was saying? Oh, poached egg um, the poached egg. P-O-A-C-H-E-D. Yeah, the post egg. I, what's a post egg okay. No, the poached egg, not scrambled but poached. So the poached egg.net. It's called that because um, the creator of that website, is taking that from a quote by C.S. Lewis? For a man to say the things that Jesus said, uh, either he is a lunatic on the level of a poached egg, a demon from hell, or he is or else he is who he claimed to be. All right. Another great website is called the One Minute Apologist. I don't know the exact address, but you can Google it. The One Minute Apologist. And on there, Bobby Connor has interviewed the top 300 apologists, and he'll give them a question, and they have one to three minutes to give an answer. And it's very concise, it's very clear. Uh, I mean uh, uh, you know, uh, even even uh, 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 even people that uh, are born uh, south of uh, the Red River can understand it. So anyway. Did I say something wrong? <laughs> two in the back of oh, who's from Houston? <laughs> well, now I didn't. So, I didn't say Southern Texas. I said south of the Mississippi. No, south of the Red River. I'm all right, Pastor. I think I need some help here. <laughs> Would you pray for me? Yeah, he's thinking. Keep your mouth shut, Jim. Go on. All right. Okay. Um, so you got some good websites. And uh, and I just encourage you to, to when you can pick up another book. I've I've given you three books. Here's another one by uh, J. Warner Wallace. J. Period Warner W. A. R. N. E. R. Wallace, and it's called Cold Case Christianity. Cold Case Christianity. Uh, he was a pri- uh, He was an investigator. And uh, they started assigning him at the police stations cold cases. Cases that were never uh, discovered what happened. And he shows using forensic evidence how you can determine uh, who did what. Uh, He was so good at this that he's been featured on Fox News and ABC News and so on and so forth. But he was an atheist until someone challenged him to use his investigative techniques concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, so he thought, well, okay, I'll do that. And of course, you know what happened. He, he, he realized the evidence indicates that Jesus came back from the dead. So uh, uh, this book talks about these techniques and how he came to Christ. And then if you're looking for a real good track, he just happens to have a track that's called Alive, A Cold Case Approach to the Resurrection, J. Warner uh, Wallace. And uh, it's just a little booklet here, and uh, it goes with this. I'll, I'll leave these down here if you're interested. So all I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is there is so much material out now, it really is uh, like the golden age of apologetics. Uh, there's no reason why you cannot find the material uh, that you need, whatever it is. Uh, whether it's science, science. Um, my goodness, we got so many. There, there's going to be, for example, a national uh, conference this summer at ORU, and it's a, the National Conference of the American Filiation of Scientists. These are guys, most of them have a Ph.D. in science, and they're committed Christians. Um, uh, I don't know if you knew this. I mean, the affirmations of what God is doing in our midst and how he's using the discoveries to affirm his existence is just Overwhelming. There is a website, for example, I think it has over 900 scientists now, but it's called Descent from Darwin, DescentFromDarwin.org, I believe it is. And 900-plus scientists, I think most are Christians, many are agnostics, but here's what they're basically saying. We're signing the saying that modern science can no longer support Darwinian evolution. You, that, that, that's just astounding. It's just absolutely astounding. So I want to tell you the evidence is everywhere. Uh, You might be saying, well, why why don't more of our uh, folks know about this in uh, the public schools and in uh, our educational institutions? Because they've never been exposed to it. And most of the time uh, when they are exposed to it, unless the Holy Spirit's working on them, uh, their, their worldview will not allow them to even investigate that. Or they have a heart issue, a moral issue that they don't want to surrender. And I'm just telling you the truth on that, okay? All right, I hope this made sense what we've talked about. Okay, let's go to our next uh, slide now. And uh, we want to look at the uniqueness of the Bible because uh, we're going to be talking about statistical proof. And that's, uh, and the proof will come from the Bible. Can we trust the Bible when it talks about prophecies? Well, first of all, we'll go very quickly in this. The Bible is unique through its survival. Through time, the overwhelming and widespread evidence of the Bible presents the factuality of absolute reliability. I'm not going to go into this again um, uh, class. I wish you could have been here Sunday morning. Uh, these uh, these uh, 25 reams of paper uh, or 50 reams of paper represent the 20, 24,970 copies of, uh, of the, uh, of the uh, New Testament documents. And I shared with, uh, shared with the, the church fellowship here that uh, that number is already inaccurate. Now that number is over 30,000 copies. Uh, Dan Wallace said if we were to take just the New Testament documents, put them as, on a, in a stack, and, and just stack them on, and we were able to go to any seminary or library or, or museum and get all those copies, uh, he said it would be a, at the height of over a mile. But if we're talking about Western civilization manuscripts, we're talking about a few feet. Now, we're not even we haven't even mentioned the Old Testament. With the Old Testament... There are more than 14,000 existing Old Testament manuscripts and fragments copied throughout the Middle East, the Mediterranean, and European regions that agree dramatically with each other. These documents agree with the Septuagint version of the Old Testament as well as the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Jewish scribes went to extraordinary lengths to ensure manuscript accuracy. Now when... If you go back, when it says the Septuagint version, it's talking about the 70 um, Hebrew scholars uh, back in about 250 B.C. that were given the commission of trans- translating uh, the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, and uh, that's what that means. And by the way, uh, that date undercuts a lot of liberal the- uh, uh, liberal theology who used to say that uh, Uh, The prophecies were written uh, after the events. Well, now that the Dead Sea Scrolls have been discovered, we find out, oh, no, they were finished before these events happened. But they were prophesied accurately. All right, uh, the next frame. Uh, Here is Samuel Davidson. He shares the regulations for the Jewish scribes uh, regarding the transcribing and copying of the holy manuscripts. Uh, Davidson explains that the roles in which these regulations are not observed are condemned to be burned, or they're banished to the schools to be used as reading books. They didn't have they didn't have typewriters back then. They didn't have computers. I mean, it was very tedious. And when they copied the scribes, I mean, we're talking about a, a very serious uh, profession. When they They copied. They didn't go word. They didn't go phrase by phrase or word by word. They went letter by letter. I mean, it was very, very tedious. Um, The Talmuds were so convinced that when they finished transcribing a manuscript, they had an exact duplicate. They would give the new copy equal authority to the master copy from which it was copied i mean they were that exact and and so here's what the master scribe would do when it looked like one parchment was finished he'd take the master scribe and so he would count he'd, he'd look at look at the middle letter and then he'd count how, how many lines from the top, how many lines from the bottom, how many lines from, from each side, and then um, they would count the same on the new, on the new parchment, and, uh, and they had to mesh. Now, if they didn't mesh, they threw it away. Man, that, that's dedication. They're very, they felt like they were actually handling the Word of God. All right, okay, next frame, please. Uh, The Bible has been criticized. It's unique through persecution. The Bible has been criticized and viciously attacked by the enemies of Christianity. Uh, Here's a Roman uh, emperor, Diocletian. He ordered in three, uh, 303 A.D. Christians to cease worshiping Christ and his military uh, to destroy Christian scriptures. I've read where some villages were completely um, decimated because uh, they found uh, Christian scriptures in those villages. I, I mean, that boggles my mind that uh, you could be executed because you had a Bible. What boggles my mind is that no longer seems uh, you know, ancient history. I mean, talk to the Christians in the Middle East. I'm still appalled at what, what, uh, what's happening there. Um, Christian apologist Bernard Ram uh, has stated, many have tried to burn it, ban it, outlaw it from the days of Roman emperors to present-day communist-dominated countries. A thousand times over, the death knell of the Bible has been sounded, the funeral procession formed, the inscription cut on the tombstone, and the committal read, but somehow the corpse never stays put. <laughs> amen all right next frame please liberal theologians declared that the bible was filled with myths and historical inaccuracies but manuscript discoveries and archaeology have completely nullified the criticisms of the critics and i want to tell you back in the 60s um, and 70s you'd be shocked at some of the things that were being said about the bible Uh, you'd be shocked at some of the statements were being made that if you believed in the verbal inspiration of the bible Uh, One survey by Christianity Day uh, said that at that time, about the uh, latter 70s, early 80s, they did a survey, and it was indicated that something, it was well over 50% of the pastors in America uh, did not believe the Bible was verbally inspired, and many had serious questions that Jesus was really God. Now, I want to tell you something. That can really undercut your devotional life. Uh, I mean, can you, I mean, what power do you have if you don't believe? Uh, that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, to to, to have your professors make statements like, well, it doesn't matter whether it's true or not, just as long as you sincerely believe it to be so. And I I think all of us realize, no, most of us, we're clear-headed thinkers that if it's not real, what's the use to proclaim it and stand on it? Because we all know that New Testament faith is factual It is not wishful thinking like our critics have said over the ages. All right, uh, here's Middle Eastern studies scholar Dr. J. Randall Price great scholar. I believe he's still at Liberty University. He says those who expected the Dead Sea Scrolls to produce a radical revision of the Bible have been disappointed for these texts have only verified the reliability of stability of the Old Testament as it appears in our modern translation. And that's one of the things I was hearing. Oh, as they continue to translate uh, you know the Dead Sea Scrolls as they're 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 being brought out in public. Uh, we are being told we're going to find some discoveries that the Bible is inaccurate or the Bible doesn't tell the rest of the story. It's just not the case in every instance. The Bible has been affirmed. All right, next frame, please. Here we have Dr. Price. He continues to write concerning the discoveries relating to the book of Daniel. The discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls then has made a contribution toward confirming the integrity of the biblical text and its own claim to predictive prophecy. Rather than support the recent theories of documentary disunity, the scrolls have returned scholars to a time when the Bible's internal witness to its own consistency and veracity was fully accepted by its appearance. That's a ka bunga, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm telling you. All right, next frame, please. A noted classical scholar, Professor E. N. Blaylock, wrote, recent archaeology has destroyed much nonsense and will destroy more. And I use the word nonsense, nonsense deliberately for theories and speculations find currency in biblical scholarship that would not be tolerated for a moment in any other branch of literary or historical criticism. And that's the absolute truth. Um. um I remember reading where a student asked, uh, uh, and I'm not trying to say anything disparaging, but, but to give you an example of what I mean about uh, worldview, uh, ask uh, 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 Dr. Bulkman. He was very big on demythologizing the Scriptures. And they asked him, uh, well, uh, what do you think about the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus? And he said, I've never looked at any evidence concerning the resurrection of Jesus. And the student said, you haven't? Why haven't you? And he said, well, why should I? Everyone knows when a dead man dies, he's dead. Is it because my first church was at Goateebo, Oklahoma, that I must have missed this or something? I mean, isn't that the essence of Christianity the reason why it's so significant is because there was a dead man that came back from the dead in history. Um, so it, it, it's not necessarily the, the, the height of great scholarship that comes up with negative assertions against Christianity or the Bible or Christ. It really is Major commitment to worldviews that are anti-supernatural. All right, okay. Uh, renowned archaeologist William Albright concludes all the all radical schools in the New Testament criticism have existed in the past, or which exist today, are pre-archeological, or therefore, since they were built in the, the Luft in the air, quite antiquated today. And so that's why when I turn on the History Channel and I see them still pushing uh, a theory concerning uh, the the, the books of Moses that was discredited over 50 and 60 uh, years ago, I I, I, I get a little frustrated. I've learned not to talk back to the TV. I mean, I'm, I'm growing. I'm growing in the Lord. So, all right, next frame. The distinguished archaeologist, now I like this guy, and, and scholar Dr. Clifford Wilson concludes his monumental 17-volume survey, Archaeology, of the Bible, and Christ, with these words. It is remarkable that where confirmation is possible and has come to light, the Bible stands investigations in ways that are unique in all literature. It's superiority to attack its capacity to withstand criticism, its amazing facility to be proved right, after all, are all staggering by any standards of scholarship. Seemingly assured results disproving the Bible have been vindicated. vindicated. That is true from Genesis to Revelation, as we have seen in this book. I can give you quote after quote after quote from uh, some of the world's leading Bible scholars who will say the very same thing? That's why. Uh, that's why I get excited when I go to some churches, and I just, I just, I want to. I say, I want to tell you what I'm going to tell you. I look at him. I say, it's all true. Everything that our spiritual forefathers said about about God, it's true. Everything you've heard about Jesus coming back from the dead and being the God the Son, it's all true. Everything you've heard about the Bible, it's all true. And everything that it says about you in Christ and Christ in you, it's all true. Well, I want to tell you, tonight, it's all true. Amen. All right, next frame. Now we're going to look at the, the statistical proof for God. Throughout the New Testament, the apostles appealed to two areas in the life of Jesus of Nazareth to establish his messiahship. One was the resurrection; the other one was fulfilled messianic prophecy. The Old Testament, written over a period of a th- written over a thousand year period, contains more than three hundred references to the coming Messiah. All of these were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and they establish a solid confirmation of his credentials as the Messiah. This is uh, from Josh McDowell, the book I showed you last night evidence for christianity next frame please Uh, the bible records thousands of prophecies these concern nations cities national and world leaders and the coming of jesus christ nearly every fulfilled prophecy recorded in the bible can be verified by historical records outside the bible and not one prophecy can i repeat that not one prophecy has been proven wrong truth is still the truth. Amen. Here's Dr. Hugh Ross, astrophysicist, president, reasons to believe. It's his ministry uh, in which uh, uh, the, his, uh, his team scours the internet every day looking for uh, new announcements on scientific discoveries. He said, approximately 2,000 the 2,500 prophecies in the Bible have been fulfilled to the letter with no errors. The remaining 500 concerning events that have not yet occurred. The probability of any one of these prophecies coming true is less than 1 in 10. But the chances that all 2,000 prophecies could have been fulfilled by chance, without error, is less than 1 in 10 to the 2,000 power. That's a 10 with 2,000 zeros behind it. Which I, I, wanna, I just want to say this. If you personally have that many pennies in your bank account and you just need someone to help you spend it. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that out. Just thought I'd throw that out. Now, here's something you need to be aware of. Since any probability less than 1 in 10 to the 50 power is considered impossible, the only reasonable explanation for the complete accuracy of the prophecies found in the Bible is this. God made them and God fulfilled them. Next frame, real quick. Uh, Scientist and Christian apologist Ralph Muncaster. And I want to tell you about Ralph. Ralph grew up in the church. And uh, here's what he says. He said, I spent over 2,000 hours uh, going to Sunday school, Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, and Wednesday night church. And by the time I graduated from high school and started to the college, I was a thoroughgoing atheist. And he, 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 no one would answer his questions that were leaders in his church. And so he goes to college, he majors in science, uh, he goes this way for about 20 years, uh, he's uh, coming back on a business trip in an airplane, and, and uh, seated next to him is another scientist, he notices the scientist is reading a book uh, on science in the Bible, and uh, he said, well what's this about? And he says, well I'm just reading how science affirms the Bible, and he says, really? Really? That's what that book says. And so he, the, the scientists began to talk to him about apologetics and said, have you never looked at the historical affirmations concerning Christianity? He said, and so uh, Muncaster said, I didn't know there were any. So the scientists gave him the book and said, start, start reading. Muncaster was shocked. Months later, he comes to Christ and makes Jesus the Lord of his life. And goes into an apologetics ministry uh, himself. Uh, and, he's a, and, he's a, and that ministry is out of uh, uh, Rick Warren's church. But it's very interesting what he says. He says he explains the significance of statistical proof and prophecy. Now notice his definitions. Hard evidence, evidence invariably involves mathematics that either defines a truth by definition, often an equation. Or a highly probable statistical event. Prophecy can provide hard evidence of God, Jesus, and the Bible because it can be evaluated using absurdly conservative assumptions and still prove statistically the supernatural inspiration of the Bible. Now let me stop here and say this. In his books... He will show you what he and his team have come up with in terms of, of, the, of the probability uh, equations. But then they will purposely knock off a great percentage because he says, I want you to know even if we, even if we, we narrow the scope, it's still overwhelming. So he goes on and he says this. He says the value of prophecy and proving the existence of God, the deity of Jesus, or the inspiration of the God of Bible is directly related to one, the degree of improbability of random occurrence of specific events prophesied without God. And number two, the number of consecutive correct prophecies made without error. Now we're going to look at this, what, 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 what defines a certified prophecy. Next frame please. Uh, Well, we will in just a minute. Is there a difference between biblical prophecies and predictions made by psychics? Now, I like this. Uh, one test of a prophet was whether they ever uttered predictions that did not come to pass. Deuteronomy 18, 22. Those whose prophecies uh, failed were stoned. Now, they don't mean uh, drinking something when they say stone or smelling or taking something. They mean, that's it, you're gone. A practice that would give pause to anybody who was not absolutely certain his message was from God. Now, notice this. Amid the hundreds of prophecies... Biblical prophets are not known to have made a single error. But a study of psychics in 1975 and observed until 1981 showed only 6 of 72 predictions were fulfilled in any way. 92% of the predictions were wrong. Next frame, please. Now, this is interesting. Biblical prophecy and psychic uh, predictions. In 1993, the Charlotte Observer reported the psychics missed every major unexpected news story, including Michael Jordan's retirement, the Midwest flooding, the Israel PLO peace treaty. Among their false prophecies were that the Queen of England would become a nun. Kathy Lee Gifford would replace Jay Leno as the host of the Tonight Show. Yes, yes. Makes you wonder what they were smoking. Okay, all right. But uh, uh, Paul Harvey, remember how Paul Harvey? It used to be at the end of the year, he would read the list of what the psychics were saying was going to happen the coming year, and then he didn't claim to be a prophet, but he just said, I- "I'm I'm just making this prediction on the basis of trends." And then the next year, before he did it for the the coming year, he would say, "Well, let's let's see how how it fared out," and the psychics, I don't think they ever got above uh, 7 or 8%. Paul Harvey, over 50%. I would trust Paul Harvey. Anyway, all right. The next frame, please. Okay, here are the principles for evaluating prophecy. Are you just saying somebody says, thus saith the Lord, and that's it? No, there's a criteria by which we go by. We're talking about certified prophecies. Uh, number one, the specific. specific how specific is the prophecy? Uh, I re-corrected. I didn't want you to think I was speaking in tongues or something. So anyway. And then number two, the, the number of consistently correct prophecies. Now, notice what Muncaster says. Statistical proof is not 100% certain. Now, do we, let me just stop and say this. Do we use statistical proof in everyday life? Yes, you use it, for example, when you build bridges. When you make airplanes, and so on and so forth. Uh, it, it is, but it's highly reliable through repeated observance and experimentation. The standard benchmark is that anything with a probability of less than 1 in 10 with 50 zeros is impossible or absurd without God. Therefore, humans accept such probability as proof. Dr. Emil Burrell, mentioned him last night, noted authority on probability, states in his book, Probabilities in Life, that once the number is passed, uh, one chance in 10 to the 50th power from a human perspective, the probabilities are so small it is impossible to think that the situation will ever occur. Scientists generally agree a standard that is anything with the probability of less than one chance in 10 to the 50th power is regarded as impossible. Mm. I, I almost... Feel like that we need to have a drum roar, a drum roll here, but not. Hold on. All right, next frame. Here's the criteria for statistical evaluation of certified prophecy: of sufficient specificity and uh, an unlikelihood that a curacy example would lead a reasonable person to conclude that fulfillment would yield a probability of one in ten or smaller. In other words, uh, even though it's just one in ten, the issue is: are there several? Several of these kind of prophecies. Number two, it's authenticated by one source and confirmed by a separate source that would, not receive, that would receive no net benefit from the confirmation of the prophecy. In other words, what they're trying to say is, what he's trying to say is that, that, that the, the motivation, the profit, uh, uh, the investment issue and motivation has been taken out of the equation. Number three, based on reliable source, the sources of both prophecy and confirmation must be reliable or the prophecy becomes speculation. All right, next frame. So what we're talking about here is not something that you'd read in a horoscope. Uh, You're not reading something that's general, like the Delphi oracles. They said uh, they had the gift of prophecy, but they were so general they could be interpreted any way uh, you wanted. So, let's look now at the four purposes for Messianic prophecy. Number one, to reveal that God alone is God. I mean, prophecy is not hard for God because He's the Alpha and Omega. Matter of fact, He's beyond the Alpha and He's beyond the Omega. He is eternal. Um, Number two, to reveal that God is faithful, Numbers twenty-three, nineteen. 19. Uh, I can't tell you how exciting this is to me. Because if God prophesies that, that specific events are going to take place, and, and it doesn't matter what governments are in power. It doesn't matter what the circumstances might be. It just doesn't matter. But it says, uh, it, uh, w- when it comes to pass, what God declares is going to come to pass, comes to pass, which gives me incredible hope because God says He gives me promises. And if God promises it, it's better than any bank or any political party. All right, number three, to distinguish God's work from all counterfeits because there, there are those who claim to speak for God and claim that uh, yes, this is from the Lord, but uh, the Bible, again, is very clear about test the Spirit. All right, and then number four to reveal the identity of God's Son. Uh, that's very, very important. All right, Jesus refers to prophecies about himself. Look at Matthew 5. Do not think I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Luke twenty four fourteen. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. Isn't it interesting? Jesus comes back from the dead, and there's two things I think that kind of stand out. One was uh, how he, he tried to c- let them know, I'm not a ghost. Ghosts don't eat. Do you have something to eat? And then number two, he had Bible studies. He, he, he opened, he, he began to just say, uh, you know, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Okay, um, next frame, please. Uh, so here 's the significance of predictive prophecy. number one it re- it reveals the divine intellect behind the bible um, there 's no other conclusion you can come to from an intellectual perspective there 's none. Uh, number two, it establishes the fact of God number three, it authenticates the deity of Jesus, and number four, it demonstrates the inspiration of the bible that 's why i've i 'll be honest with you that 's why i've i 've often wondered. Why there's not been an emphasis on statistical prophecy in uh, uh, Bible colleges and Christian universities. Because this is testable. This can be uh, defirmed or affirmed. Is there such a word as defirmed? If there's not, there is now. Okay. All right. Um, Next frame, please. How did Jesus substantiate his claims to be God? Well, there's three lines of evidence that he provided to support his claim to be the Son of God and the Son of Man. The three proofs are, one... The, his fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Number two, his sinless life and miraculous deeds. I want to stop right here and say this. You know, um, I have never met a pastor who has uh, come to me and said, uh, well, my people love me and, uh, and they just know that I'm perfect. <laughs> I, I've, I've, never, I've just never met a theologian that said that. But isn't it interesting that Jesus has lived with these guys? They know him. And they say things like, He is without sin, He's the unblemished lamb. Um, there's some people you can be with in 15 minutes, and you know they're not unblemished, <laughs> and you know they're not perfect. Uh, that's why they say community groups. Many times, n- really needs to think about multiplying because after about six months, you know just about everything uh, you might know in a in a in a trustworthy atmosphere in a small group, uh, but sinless, and then his miraculous deeds. I. <laughs> Buddha admitted he, he, he did not perform any miracles. I, I don't mean that in a bad way. The, the only miracles attributed to him were put in, in writing 100, 100 plus years after his death. Uh, you know, uh, same way with all the, 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 the great leaders of religions. You, you don't see anyone walking in water. You don't see anyone raising people from the dead. You, you don't. You don't see the absolute miraculous taking place. You, you know what I read? Uh, j- just uh, uh, Monday, uh, I read um, a book, or perused a book at uh, uh, Barnes and Noble. Loves me, and so. But I was reading this book. I didn't buy it, honey, and uh, but the book. Was talking about how this historian was wondering how was it that Christianity, in four centuries, went from such a despised, persecuted, beaten uh, uh, faith that, in four centuries, they basically uh, conquered the, the the known world. And, uh, and I, I thought it was interesting. Now, here is a this is this is not a Christian historian. But this historian, and I'm sorry I don't have his name, but he basically said this. He said there's one area in which uh, nothing is mentioned about in, in a lot of other writings, but he said in my investigation, and he mentioned answer prayer, and those things, but, he, but he said there's one dominant area that the church seemed to have a corner on. Now, I'm just telling you what he said, okay? He said, I believe that he didn't call it the hidden sauce, but he said, "I believe that one of the major components was that the church knew how to deal with demons Are there any i mean word <laughs> and and it's like it's like the church really believe this stuff god existed jesus is the son and jesus dealt with the demonic and he gave us the keys to the kingdom of heaven anyway and then there's his resurrection from the dead as i've mentioned as we all know if jesus christ didn't come back from the dead we wouldn't be here there'd be no church all right next frame There are several studies regarding the Messianic prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus. These three stand out. Prophecy and History, What the Bible Teaches About the Promised Messiah by James Smith. Uh, It's a good book. Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy by J. Barron Payne. And then last, uh, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah by Alfred Edersheim. Uh, It's interesting, Edersheim is not only a scholar, but he is a Messianic Jewish scholar. And... uh, Uh, Smith discusses 73 prophecies regarding the first coming of the Jewish Messiah where Payne studies uh, indicate 191 prophecies. Edersheim states that there are at least 456 prophecies predicting the first coming of the Messiah. All three scholars declare that Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies for the first coming of the Jewish Messiah. (sighs) I don't know about you, but... uh, if uh, if the casinos found out that that kind of predictive element could be used in the flesh and it was only through Christians, you wouldn't be able to go to the casinos, which you probably shouldn't go there anyway. <laughs> but what I'm saying is this is astounding. This is absolutely astounding. All right, next frame. Now, we're going to be looking at 30 prophecies. And I just want you to follow along. Now, we're not gonna look at all four hundred and fifty six. Okay. Just yeah, the first one hundred and seventy nine. All right, here here's a messianic prophecy. Shem is an ancestor of the of the Messiah. Uh, the guesstimation of odds one and three. Uh, obviously if you got Three sons left uh, of Noah's son. One of the three is, you know, okay. Uh, Abraham was an ancestor, one in a 1,000. Isaac, an ancestor, one in 10,000. Jacob, an ancestor, one in a 100,000. Judah, an ancestor, one in a million. Jesse, an ancestor, one in 10 million. King David, an ancestor, one in a 100 million. Bethlehem is a birthplace. That's prophesied in Micah 5, uh, 2, one in 100,000. A star connected to the birth, prophesied uh, numbers 24, one in 100,000. Next frame, please uh uh the messiah would be called god with us emmanuel one in 100,000 not many people called emmanuel uh calming the sea not many people can do that one uh one in 10 million special miracles uh only i only know of one person that, that did that one in 100 million names that were given special names one in 10,000 use of parables one in 10 uh ultimate king over all one in 10 sins offering and passover lamb uh, That's how he was identified, one in a hundred. That's what was one of his titles. He died with wicked men. And you remember there were two thieves on each side of the cross. Uh, That was one in ten. Buried with rich men and basically refers to uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, 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 Jesus was put in his tomb. And by the way, it was a new tomb because uh, uh, a man that was crucified and given a sentence would not be allowed to be buried if there was somebody in the new tomb. So uh, uh Joseph Marathia had just completed that tomb, and uh, he he uh, allowed Jesus to be uh, buried in it. but um, i I really hope they used it because Jesus didn't stay very long so uh the timing of entry in Jerusalem uh, this is amazing i I mean, uh, uh, Sir Robert Anderson talks about the very date. Uh, coincides in prophecies that jesus uh, came into jerusalem the timing of the entry uh, entering jerusalem on a donkey one in a hundred betrayed for 20 for 30 pieces of silver this is prophesied before silver was even used as, as a as currency uh next frame rejection by israel they're silent one in ten thousand hands and feet pierced uh, notice no bro- bones broken um identifying the place of the crucifixion, one in a million, will thirst during death, one in 10, no bones, we'll I'll just say that, one in 10, identifications of words at execution, Psalms 22, isn't that interesting, one in a thousand, lots cast for clothing, one in a thousand, will be given gall in wine, one in 10, and will be pierced, one in a hundred, and we know that uh, just to make certain that uh, he was dead, uh, you remember the soldier put the spear uh, in his side, and they did not know that it indicated that the heart cavity was was uh, pierced because blood and water came out, indicating that as the as the medical field will say that now I want us to go back to the very first uh can we do that? Can you go back about two frames and uh, this is what I want us to do, and can you could you kind of lower the lights just a little and um, I, I i want I want you to see something here and um, uh, yeah, if you could just yeah keep on lowering them. Could you go a little bit lower? Is it possible? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you. That I think that's just about right. Now uh, we're going to be looking at uh, how significant this is, and, uh, uh, and and we're we're just we're just taking an abridged aspect. Okay. Uh, what would that be like if? Uh, these prophecies really could be seen in a way. Now, up here, by the way, I've read there's about 17 different men that claim to be the Messiah. And uh, so, uh, we have this gentleman. This is not Simon Peter. This was uh, Simon, um, what's-his-face, and uh, uh, you've probably heard of him, Jesus of Nazareth, Simon Bar-Kotha, and uh, uh, he He existed in uh, the second century matter of fact uh, uh, the high priest said that he was the promised messiah and they were forming an army and uh, he declared that if you want to be a part of my army, you have to be willing to let one of your fingers be cut off. I prefer faith in jesus myself okay now here's what we 're going to do What would it be like if these prophet if if these individuals we're, we're going to find out in just the next few moments which of these individuals fulfilled at least 10 to 12 of these prophecies so uh i've got a team that's going to help me and uh they are going to they've been specially trained to do this uh do not worry okay do not worry all right so here's our first prophecy sham is an ancestor so would our team uh begin wherever you are stand do what you're supposed to do There, there you go, right there, right there. Okay, so, uh, and then number two, Abraham ancestor. Okay, right, yeah, right there. Uh, so, so both of these prophecies, um, yeah, hold them at Jesus. Okay, all right, I tell you what, hold, hold on, and we'll, we'll, we'll have you stand again just a minute, okay? All right, I, I was at one church. Uh, I, I told the visual team how to do this, and there was one lady. Instead of putting on Jesus, she she kept putting it on me. And I get, I think she saw too many of those army movies with those rifles. All right, here's the third one. Isaac is an ancestor, number three. All right. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Jacob is an ancestor, number four. All right. Uh, then we have uh, Jesse as an ancestor. All right, now we have King David as an ancestor. All right, now we have Bethlehem as a birthplace. All right, star connected to the birth. Next frame, please. Called God with us. Calming the sea. Use of parables. Now, we're going to have to stop here, but I want you to notice what would happen if all four hundred and fifty six prophecies were illuminated in such a fashion? okay, thank you all very much. You can bring the lights back up so what 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 does this mean i mean i want you to, I want you to think about it. Can you imagine four hundred and fifty six people standing up? And as we go through all those prophecies very quickly, of course, and then all of a sudden, shoo! And every one of them, prophecies given, separated by centuries, different circumstances, different places, sometimes uttered in different languages. And not one person, not one person except this man right here fulfilled all of them. Whew. My goodness. Amen. So the two two things that this means: number one, there is a promise that that if you if you recognize that you're undone, that, you know the Bible really indicates when it says all have sinned and come short sure of the glory of God, it does not mean it does not mean that uh, God is mad. God is just giving a condition. Uh, I went to the doctor last week. It's not because uh, I was just mean and I need to go to the, well, there's a different spin maybe among some, but but I but I had a condition. And that's why I have this bandage up here, not because Pam got mad at me, but I had a condition. And uh, so when the Bible says all of sin and come short of the glory of God, it means you do not have the spirit of God within you. You see, it doesn't matter how quote unquote righteous you are. Because Isaiah says, uh, your righteousness is like filthy rags," And so you have a spiritual condition, and that condition can only be taken care of if you acknowledge and and really see your need. Because I'm telling you, I don't care how many times you've gone to church. I don't care how many Bible studies you've been in. I want to tell you, it, it doesn't matter. I don't care how many study certificates you got on the wall. Do you know... Do you know that the pastor of the first Baptist Church in Norman, Oklahoma, we call him Preacher Halleck, uh, he was getting ready on a Saturday night to preach, and uh, and as he and, and he was studying John three sixteen. I mean, we're not talking about a, a, you know an obscure passage, and I mean, God began to speak to his heart and said, uh, Halleck, you're religious, but you don't know me. So he preaches the message the next day and shocked the whole congregation. He said, is there anyone here that needs to come forward and confess Christ? So he comes down and he says, I, I need to confess Christ. And of course, you can imagine what uh, the church thought and the deacons thought. And, and uh, so uh, they voted him in and said, we accept. And, and uh, they accepted his baptism. And, and uh, he was able to continue to pastor there. Uh, I, I was at First Baptist Church Collinsville, first starting out. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm preaching. I'm, uh, and Sunday night, uh, the pastor says, my wife and I, we need to see you after the service. And I'm thinking, "Ooh boy, did I say something I didn't know that I said that I shouldn't have said? And so uh, I, I come in, and, and his wife looks at me and says, I want you to know, uh, I went to Oklahoma Baptist University. I want you to know I grew up in the church. I want you to know that uh, uh, I was in GAs. That's called Girls' Auxiliary. It used to be really big in Baptist churches. But she said, uh, and I, I really wanted to go to college to marry a preacher. And I married a preacher. And a good-looking one at that. But she said, I, I was just religious. But I never, ever let Jesus Christ be my Lord and say, you take charge of my life and uh i can tell you story after story just like that because it's not about religion it really is about relationship with him yeah. now you say well can i can i really trust him <laughs> uh i think we got some proof <laughs> are his promises true for you oh yeah yeah when I pastored the black church in Athens, uh, uh, you know, here I am, I'm teaching theology at the, one of the colleges there, and uh, Pam and I, uh, we, we are involved in this uh, inner city black church, and and uh, 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 my, my associate pastor was a crack addict. Now, you know, that doesn't qualify you for the ministry, and so... Um, so he talks about how he lost two businesses. He came from Florida. He went to Athens. They had a transition home. And he said within weeks he realized uh, that program wasn't going to do it because only 5% of crack addicts ever get out of crack. And he said on Easter, on Easter Sunday, he went to a, a Church of God uh, a fellowship there in Athens, and uh, he said he just knew if, I, if something doesn't happen, I'm going to die. And so, during the altar call, after they had the presentation, uh, Earl said, I just raised my hands. And I said, God, I need you. And he said, I just felt like the Lord Jesus said, Earl, uh, you just need to surrender to me. And I'll take care of your addiction and everything else in your life. And he was delivered cold turkey. And uh, so, I, I want to I tell you. That same Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and will be forever. Amen. Now, what happens when you have a church, a, church, a, a church full of folks like that? Something happens. I believe Wesley saw the great dynamic that happens, not just where two or three have gathered together in his name, but what happens when they begin to realize they are the change agents. Um, true story. The time is 1995. Uh, we're in Calais, Colombia, uh, South America, C A L I. That city is a little larger than Atlanta. In 1995, the seven top drug cartels are headquartered there. They're averaging about $5 million of profit uh, a-, a month. And, uh, and it was getting pretty bad because uh, uh, when, when some of the journalists and TV uh, reporters would talk about the mafia, uh, many of them uh, were assassinated. Uh, they found out that uh, they owned uh, something like 1,200-plus properties, and they also found out that they had bought off the policemen. Uh, police, police officers were, had two salaries, one from the government and one from the mafia. They were averaging 15 murders a day. And the church was just, uh, was just so anemic. And finally, out of desperation... A small group of pastors uh, got together. I mean, every theological position you could think of, but they were still cr- Christians. Uh, you had Arminians, and and uh, you had uh, Charismatics, and you had Calvinists, and you had uh, everything in between. And uh, they said, we, we've we got to pray. So uh, there wasn't that many of them. I think it was like 15 to begin with. And so they called their people together. They had a joint prayer, and they said, Lord, give us a strategy. And the first thing that God told them uh, was, uh, I want you to do a prayer walk and do prayer. Prayer mapping, and so they went through every postal area, and they begin to write down what they saw in that area. If it was a uh, drug activity or crime or gambling or, or whatever it was, and they came back and they prayed about it. And then as they're praying, uh, one of the pastors said, I think I think it, things are so desperate. We need to have an all-night prayer meeting. So uh, they said, well, that would be good. Uh, they thought about having it in, a, in a, a small auditorium that they thought would hold the, the people. Uh, but uh, uh, they they found out that the sound system was terrible, so they rented this this huge sports uh, uh, coliseum arena that held twenty five thousand. It had a dome and everything else, and 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 they stepped out in faith. and They said, well. Boy, it'd be great if we had 2,000 people show up, and we'll just put them in one corner, but the sound system will be just good. And so they made the announcements uh, four weeks from, from uh, this particular Friday. Come together. We're going to start at 7 in the evening. We're going to go all night long praying and seeking God and praying for our city, and then we'll quit at 7 Saturday. So the word got out, and the pastors were shocked. Because instead of 2,000, 25,000 people showed up. The mayor of the city was there. They were shocked. And on the documentary, he's standing up there and he's saying, Calais belongs to Jesus. And boy, the church knew something is happening. And so they prayed all night long. I mean, they would, they would praise the Lord for a little while and then they would get in groups and some would pray by themselves. I mean, they stormed heaven. They asked God to come. They came, they came against the enemy. They came against the devil. You, you mean you can do that? Yes, you can talk back to the devil. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. Uh, we, we need to be a little bit more assertive. Don't listen to the devil when he says, you don't have the authority. The, the authority is not you. The authority is given to you by Jesus. And you're under his authority. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, I've given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys are instruments of access. I, I, I'm telling you, I believe we have acted wimpish. The church in America uh, we, we, I really believe our nation hangs in the balance because of what we do or don't do. So, they prayed all night long. And at 7 o'clock, they disbanded. But boy, they sensed something had happened. The newspapers <laughs> came out Monday with the headlines, no homicides for the first time over the weekend in Calais, Colombia, Remember, they're used to sometimes having 15 murders a day. Everybody was stunned. Seven, seven days later, the first drug lord of one of the cartels was arrested. And boy, they begin to realize, wonder if there's a cause and effect here. You think? <laughs> so, I mean... They decided let's do this again. So this time they didn't go to the arena. They went to the largest stadium they had. It, it, it holds fifty five thousand in, in the in the bleachers. It's where they had their big football games. Uh, the people showed up. Uh, they, they 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 were on the on the field. I mean excitement began to be generated. And then there was another fifteen thousand. The fire marshal wouldn't let in. So you know what the fire what they did? They they they, they decided to have. I think the Pentecostals call it a uh, March so they they marched 15,000 around the auditorium I mean around the stadium all night long and uh, and things begin to break crime began to go down I mean it was stunning people uh, soon uh, the, the some of the policemen uh, police authorities were saying you know the church has a positive good here they were seeing things that they'd never seen before um uh, Matter of fact, I, I really want to send this story to some few fo- a few folks in Washington, D.C. The church is a good force. So anyway, so it amazed them. Uh, so they, they continue to pray. So here, here they are. I mean, same thing. They pray all night long. Within nine months, every one of the drug lords of the seven drug cartels are arrested. Uh, the city has—I I call it their version of Mardi Gras—and uh, so they ask the city fathers, uh, "You're such a positive good, but but our sanitation can't keep up with everything. Could could could, could you, church uh, pastors?" Could you church leaders, could you persuade 1,500 of your people to meet at City Hall on a Saturday morning and we'll give you directions, and could you just go and clean up the city? So the church is committed to being a positive good, and so they did exactly that, 1,500 of them. They got their maps, and according to Charles Stanley, in his magazine, In Touch, they cleaned up the city and went over 500 people to Christ doing it. I'm telling you what, folks were stunned. Now, this did not come without a price because one of the leaders in the movement was assassinated. And boy, it stunned them. It stunned them to the point that at his funeral, 200 pastors showed up. And they, uh, they realized God has not worked because we have not worked together. And they made a covenant together. And then it just exploded in Calais. I mean, the church just began to grow. Uh, they interviewed one pastor and they said, how is your church growing so fast? Uh, what's your church growth principles? And he said, I don't know. We we, we're, we only have time to do follow-up. He was being serious. One church, they interviewed the pastor and they had gone from 800 to 30,000 in 24 months. And uh, he said, oh, it's really something what God is doing. Well, I think so. I mean, he said, we, we start our services at 7 in the morning, 9, 11, one, three, five, and the last one's at 7. Which uh, if, if only one man's preaching that, we need to send him some multivitamins and a lot of prayer. Now, if that was just an isolated event, I want to tell you something. The Sentinel Group, which is, I guess you'd say, missionary uh, statisticians, George Otis Jr., they have discovered over 100 cities and regions where the church has gotten together and sought God. And they've seen where this has taken place. To my knowledge, there's only one place in America where it's happened, and it's in a three-county area in Kentucky that was so crime-infested that uh, it was, I mean, drug, the drug traffic was so steep that they even had, uh, it was even being sold in the school along with prostitution, everything else, and finally the pastors got together the church leaders and they just said, we got to ask God what to do, and so the 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 charismatics and and, and the non Baptists knew it had to be of the Lord because they had this they had this Calvinistic they had this Calvinistic Baptist preacher who said, I had a dream and I thought it was the Lord and they kind of... <laughs> And he said, I don't know, I, I think it might have been the Lord, but I, I, I felt like the Lord said we're supposed to have a Jesus march on a Saturday and invite the whole county to come and hold up and, and just say, We're not going to stop praying until Jesus is Lord. So, on that particular Saturday, and they advertised it, and uh, they thought, boy, it'd be something if 200 would show up, and instead, 4,000 showed up. They saw the the drug guys uh, had their pads writing names, but they marched, and as they marched through the town, I mean, they were declaring Jesus is Lord over this city, over this county, and uh, within 21 days... All of a sudden there 's not only a drastic change uh, the area's top drug uh, pusher uh, they called him the meanest man around got saved and now is one of the top evangelists in that whole area uh, i I'm, I'm, I mean it just changed uh, the the federal the, uh, the the state government had discovered that there was some unusual things happening because Uh, The city would continue to vote positively for positive changes, but for some reason it never passed. Well, they found out later that certain ballots did not make it to be counted. They discovered that the mayor, the city council, county commissioners were steeped in crime, and many of them in charge of the prostitution and the drug trafficking. And uh, within two months, uh, they were in jail and eventually would be imprisoned, and I mean it was just like the tide broke. Wow, well, I kind of makes you wonder. Kind of makes you wonder if God can tell us who His Son is and identify Him. Kind of makes you wonder maybe those promises. Kind of makes you wonder if if maybe where where He says. Uh, what things so you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you 'll have them kind of makes you wonder when he says that um, you you know you 've been given authority now i don't, I don't mean for selfish me means i 'm talking about under the authority of jesus that the the kingdom of God can advance. You remember these two chairs? those of you have been here, we said this chair represents that part of of uh, which is the natural we sit in this chair and uh we just um, we just think well, all that 's going to happen is what we can ascertain, understand, or see, but if we sit in this chair, the other half of reality, according to the Bible, and Francis Schaeffer, is that yes we, we you know we do sit in that chair what we see, what we hear, what we touch, what we taste uh, in other words if if we 're standing in the middle of the street and we see a semi coming uh, we 're wise to get out of the way, but when we sit in this chair we are immediately connected with the resources of God in heaven because God can move into his creation and he has given us access to the kingdom of heaven to to impact situations, Not, not not us in a fleshly way, not us trying to make it happen, but just our praying and say, Lord, would you change circumstances? And we've been given the keys. Now, I've shared some things with you. They're, they're they're real. You could talk to this guy, and he'll, he'll he'll tell you some stories. If you're bald, he'll make your bring back some hair. I mean, because <laughs> if your heart is right, <laughs> word, word. But I, I really believe that uh, God God has called this church for something far beyond anything you can imagine. Don't let your thoughts dictate what God wants to do in and through you, okay? Well, I want to pray. I think we're going to have brief Q&A. And then uh, I say brief because uh, I still have a class to finish uh, over here. And uh, you pray for them. Um, Yes, and so on and so forth. Lord, I do thank you for this time, and I ask that your Holy Spirit now just take everything that's been shared and bring the reality of it to our hearts and our minds. In your name, amen. All right, now, I want to just say this. If you have any question, I want you to understand this. If if I don't answer a question that seems sufficient for you, I want you to know it's not that there aren't answers. I'm just telling you that the church has dealt probably with your question uh, by so many intellectuals in the last 2,000 years. There are answers. So I I just want to throw that out. And I really am more prone to recommend a website or a book because that way you learn it for yourself. Okay? All right. Anybody have any questions? Yes, sir. It happened anywhere in the United States that you know of? J- just the place in Kentucky, and uh, uh, I, I, it's been short it, I, I know there was a place in California that it started in the process, but it was short-lived. Um, I heard that it, it, you know, uh, the revival movement broke up because the Christians uh, stopped uh, rightly relating to one another. That's key. We've got to be united. They've said, they've said in every instance where revival has broken loose, there's been these three. If you didn't have these three components, it didn't happen. Number one, there had to be a persevering, committed leadership to press in for revival. Now, it didn't have to be a lot of people. They said it could start with one, but they normally didn't see more than 12. And so these folks became that critical mass. Number two not only was it a persevering leadership but it had to be vibrant it had to be active prayer in other words it wasn't bless me prayer you know god bless you know and i mean i mean there was, it, we're talking about spiritual warfare kind of prayer and and then number 3 uh, they had to be discerning because uh, the way god broke things loose in one place might not be in another. Like there's a, um, uh, there's a, um, city in, um, um, Guatemala where, uh, these two things started, but it didn't break loose until a lady who was just about ready to die. They'd already planned her funeral and they said, well, let's have the pastor come and pray over. And as the pastor was coming, uh, he felt like the Lord said, I want you to pray, uh, that uh, I'll heal her. And, um, uh, and by the way, this pastor had learned to hear God because the drug druggies there had actually come to him upset because too many of their uh, customers were coming to Christ. <laughs> it's cutting into their business. And so they actually, the leader actually got a revolver and put it in his mouth, pulled the trigger and uh, it didn't go off. Pulled the trigger again. He pulled the trigger at least six times. It didn't go off. Well, it really, uh, it really built up that pastor's prayer life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, six new prayers. And when they left, so uh, embarrassed, uh, he got the other pastors that, that, that said, you know, we need to pray about this. Alamogarna, I believe is how you pronounce it. Long story short. They used to have 40 bars, 36 of them are churches now. (laughs) They they used to have four big jails, I'm not kidding, Uh, the jails look like small prisons. In the documentary uh, that I saw, they have the chief of police and he's just closed the last jail because there's nobody to arrest. Now, I'm not making this up. I mean, Hollywood could not come up with this. Where is that happening? Uh, I want to say Alamogorda. If you'll go to to the Sentinel Group, Google Sentinel Group, and they'll talk about the transformation videos. And uh, they've got several of these. Sentinel, like a Sentinel, you know, like a soldier Sentinel. With an S? The Sentinel Group.
1: All right. Jim, you may not know this. About two and a half years ago there were fifty pastors that met over at Channel Forty Seven, watched the documentary about um the miracle in Calais. Yes. And uh but it fizzled thereafter. Yeah. I, I, I would add there may be one other element that produces that kind of prayer movement, and that's the desperation yes. that ignites it. Everybody wants a miracle. Nobody wants the conditions. That launched the prayer that asked for that miracle. That's right. Uh, We can always be proactive. I'm all for that. Uh, But um, that level of desperation has some awakening factor that all the good intention in the world doesn't seem to be able to pull off. That's Uh, right. That's exactly right. The genesis of that had started a couple of years ago, and there's still a prayer network that's limping by. Uh, but, but it's never reached the vibrant kind of level that, that you speak of. Yeah. Another question? That does not relate to a final exam. <laughs> you know, in, in the interest of time tonight, they're needing to get to final exams and so forth. Let me suggest that you ruminate about those questions. We'll have a Q&A time at the end of our next session tomorrow night. And maybe in just the next five minutes, as we dismiss, feel free to dismiss as soon as we close here with prayer. But if you'd like to stick around, at least make mental notes or talk it over with a friend of two or three kernels that you heard tonight. What are those things that are, that are connecting with you as something of substance that is uh, a reason to consider the factuality of the faith? We've, we've heard of these statistical proofs. We've, we've, we've considered prophetic fulfillment. Um, what what are those things? Crystallize those for yourself as what you're taking away from tonight. And, uh, Jim, would you close us with a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. I
0: will. I just have one announcement, and that is uh, there are some, some, uh, if you'd bring those uh, over here afterwards and put them in the sack, I'd appreciate it. He's going to count them. Make sure you do it. And uh, do not take any new ones and so on and so forth. Willis, uh, could we just stand, please? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we've had. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this study. And, Lord, thank you for this fellowship. And, I, I, Lord, I have such anticipation of what you are and shall be doing in the coming days and weeks. And, Lord, I thank you for this class. I thank you for all the students. Lord, I do lift up Martha, uh, Father uh, uh, I'm, I'm saddened by uh, her loss of her husband. I just ask that your Holy Spirit come for her right now. Now, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of our students lost her husband Monday. And uh, so you might remember Martha. All right, God bless you. Thank you. See you tomorrow night.